0: Good evening. It's a great night to be out. How are you, sister? You all right? Good. You healed everybody at your house yet? I but we're getting there. Getting there? Yeah. Some of those old coughs and flus just won't go away sometimes. We're glad you're here, and if you're tuning in uh, this evening, we're glad you're here uh, with us as Well, we will... Uh, begin with prayer and then get right to our subject this evening. Let's bow. Gracious, loving Father, we thank you. Thank you for the rain, Lord. We pray, Father, that you continue to give us the rain that we need. Father, we pray your blessing on those areas that are most desperate, desperately dry, that you would help them to get rain and the water they need as well. Father, we pray your blessing on those recovering from storms and such like. We pray that you bless all the efforts and bless all the families, <coughs> all the families affected. Bless the sick, O oh Lord, those not feeling well, even those listening in this evening, please we ask you to be with Brother Keith and Brother Tim. That you'd help them, help Brother Paul, help others, Father, that we know of who've been Having some failing uh, sicknesses, and we pray, O oh Lord, as you know their needs that you will restore them uh, to their health. Lord, there are others on our list who who may just be uh, older or shut in, and we pray your blessing upon uh, them as well. Lord, there are those like our brother Mike uh, Jones who has They've been undergoing some procedures. We pray that they may be able to recover as quick as possible. Lord, we're thankful that we have, uh, as our church family here, we have this time during the midweek where we can study and that we can uh, improve our knowledge. Also, maybe improve ourselves to be able to help others with their knowledge. Lord, we're grateful for your kindness toward us through Jesus especially. Thank you, Father, for being merciful toward us in our sins. And we thank you, Father, for the great love that you show to us. Thank you for Scripture. Thank you for the Bible. And Lord, we pray that as we open up your word, we may also be opening up our hearts. Help us to be ever, Father, seeking, thirsting for your word. Help us to have the good and honest heart that we need to have. We pray that you bless our little ones, Lord, wherever they may be, and that you might watch over them as well. Bless our little ones in class, and bless us, Father, as we seek to be good examples to those younger than us. We ask your guidance, Father, as we work through this class. We pray that things will be done in, in a way that's pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been looking at some religious mistakes that are made uh, by sincere uh, people. Let me uh, introduce to you uh, a couple of words that are found in the Bible that bring some confusion. Uh, there is the word election, election, Uh, there's the word uh, foreknowledge, and then there's the word predestination. And so there is a particular religious mistake that's made, and um, it's made uh, off of misunderstanding these words and passages associated with these words. And so uh, kind of like we've been doing, I want us to first notice the religious mistake that, uh, that we're going to be looking at. and Then I want us to notice uh, why it is a mistake in light of God's Word. And then I want us to uh, dive into a few passages where these terms like election, predestination are used so we can understand some of these meanings. And then I want us to uh, finish up with a special case and then seek to uh, see how great God is as we, as we end the class. Okay, so the religious mistake I have in mind is that people uh, believe sincerely, they believe that God, before the world began, before he created the world, uh, he predetermined that certain ones would uh, be ultimately saved and have eternal life, and that others, in his sovereign will, uh, God determined others would not get to have uh, the eternal life. Okay, And because the belief is, uh, because it is from God's sovereign will, then this would be uh, completely unchangeable. And this ideal also is related to some things we've been studying. Uh, You remember, was it a week ago or so, that we talked about original sin. Well, and we said with original sin that many other false ideals come from that sin. And and so uh, these religious people that are sincere believe that we're born so uh, sinfully depraved that uh, we're unable to make our own spiritual choices Therefore, it's all in God's hands. Okay. So with that belief, you know, that we're so depraved, then therefore God must intervene, come in and decide, well, who's going to be saved and then who's not going to ultimately be saved. Okay. So that's the religious mistake that, that people make. Many believe this sincerely, and uh, they've been taught this since they were way little um, so let's move to the next part here, and that is, um, this should be fairly easy for us to respond to. Okay, what does the Bible actually teach? Keep this in mind: when the Bible plainly teaches something, we don't need to forget that. Okay, whatever you're looking at, whatever you hear out in the world, even if you come to a troubling passage in the Bible. Remember, there are some things that are clearly taught, okay? And so you always start with the things that are clearly taught, okay? It's a, it's a, it's a very important principle when you're, try, when you're seeking to understand other scriptures. You start with what is clearly taught, and then you go from there to understand what might be a little bit more uh, difficult, okay? And so there are some things clearly taught in the scripture that, um, that show that this is a religious mistake, one would be that God loves everybody. His love is uh, universal. I'll be turning over to 1 John 4, 9 and 10 for a second. 1 John chapter 4. And as you go over there, recall John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, right? He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Okay. Notice how John follows this up in 1 John 4. And looking down to uh, verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was uh, made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Look let your eyes go back over to 1 John 2 verses 1 and 2. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing this these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate advocate uh, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but what? But also for the entire world. And so God's love is universal. That's plainly taught. Okay? There's no part of God's will that is limited to just a certain uh, group. Okay? God's will is universal. 1 John 2 1 Timothy 2, I should say. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so God's will and love, it is plainly taught, is universal. What about the death of Jesus? Was it for a few? Was it for a select group? Or was it for the whole world? Whole world. Whole world. Let's look at one verse together on that. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. As you make your way to 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6, recall that Hebrews 2 9 says that Jesus tasted death for every man. Okay, But then notice 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6, right on the hills of of Paul saying God would have all men to be saved, verse 5 and 6, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for how many? For all. For all. Okay. So in my Bible, I have all underlined, I have all underlined in verse 4, and then I just draw a line from all to all to emphasize that Jesus died Gave himself for everyone, and that's, that's God's will. So Christ's death and the love of God, the will of God, very universal, plainly taught. Okay, What about the gospel? Is it for all? We certainly sing about that, don't we? The blessed gospel is for all. When Jesus was born, remember this in Luke 2 and verse 10. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel talked about Jesus coming into uh, the world and said this, Luke 2, verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay. So Christ is coming for all the people And his good news of great joy, his gospel, uh, is for all. Okay, So these are some things that are just plainly taught that shows that this earlier religious mistake about God predetermining salvation for certain ones before the world begins just can't be true. The Bible clearly teaches, you know, remember in Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. The Bible clearly teaches that those who are lost can be saved. Okay? Those who are spiritually sick can get well. Those who are spiritually dead can come to life. Romans 6 verse 4, when we're baptized into Christ, we're raised to walk in newness of life. Those who are spiritually dead can come to life. Those who are outside of Christ can come in Christ. Those who are lost uh, can be saved. So many ways in which to handle and to think about this particular uh, religious mistake. If this religious mistake, if it, if it was all a done deal, okay, and isn't that depressing? If it was just all a done deal, there would be no incentive. Okay? There would be no motive to grow. There would be no motive to, to uh To grow in Christ, there would be no incentive. There would be no hope to become a Christian. There would be no hope to grow as a Christian. Every command of God would basically be useless, wouldn't it? If it's all a done deal, when we come into this world and we find this out, what good is the commands of God? What good would all the warnings about eternal loss, uh, what, what good would all those warnings be? And so these are the things to say when, when, um, when, um, when if somebody has this belief, and it's it's more common than, than what I really uh, thought. It's it's still ingrained in people's uh, minds. Now let's look. Let's dive into a couple of passages. Let, let's uh, start with Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. That deals with this, some of this terminology, that. Um, And these are are just really powerful, beautiful passages. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. It's worth our time getting here just to read these passages uh, together. Notice it with me. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He destined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. To the praise of His glorious grace, verse 6, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So there's no doubt that before the foundation of the world, in the precious mind of God, he made some decisions. Okay? And so let's see what those are. Now, according to this verse, the passage that we just read, before the foundation of the world, God decided that he would save those who would come into the in-Christ relationship. Okay? One of the key phrases in... In Paul's letters, especially, is the phrase "in him or in Christ. Okay You see this repeated here in, in these verses. Verse three, every spiritual blessing uh, in Christ, He has blessed us in Christ, verse three, with every spiritual blessing. You see that? Verse four, even as he chose us in him in him. notice verse six, He has blessed us in the Beloved, the Beloved Son, in the Beloved. So before the foundation of the world, God decided that He would save those who would be willing to create, to to have this in Christ relationship with with the Father. And of course, you know by your knowledge that Galatians 3, 26 and 27 says we're baptized into Christ. Baptism is predicated upon one's faith and one's willingness to turn from sin. One's willingness to confess his faith. But then when you're baptized based on that, then that puts you into Christ. Into this in Christ relationship. Turn with me. Uh, hold your place at Ephesians 1, but flip over to uh, 2 Timothy 2 and notice this verse, verse 10, of 2 Timothy 2 and verse uh, 10. Paul says, therefore, therefore, he had just said the word of God cannot be bound. Paul's in prison and he knows, he has tremendous confidence. He says, you can put me in prison, but the word of God cannot be bound Therefore, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Isn't that beautiful? Salvation is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And so God decided this long ago before he ever created the world. Now go back to Ephesians Ephesians 1 for a second. And notice that that um, God, before the foundation of the world, He decided that His people would have certain characteristics. They would have certain traits about them. Okay. In other words, He decided long ago, here's how the Christian life will look. All right, you see it here in verse 4, Ephesians 1 verse 4. He says, he chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be what? Holy and what? Blameless and what? And loving. Okay, that kind of sums up the Christian life. Holy, unblemished, blameless, and loving. Okay. And so God decided that a long time ago. He didn't decide specifically who would be saved, but he decided the class of people who would be saved, who would be his followers, okay? It's much like a a public school teacher. She decides or he decides the type of class they're going to have before the year ever begins. She'll decide, I'm gonna have an orderly class, I'm going to have a lot of visuals. We're going to have a lot of discussion. We're going to have a lot of fun. But we will be orderly. Okay? We will seek to do this by this day. In other words, she can decide a lot of things about the class before she ever really knows who's going to be in that class. So God determined a long time ago exactly the type of people that would be his followers. Okay. Hmm. The criteria. The criteria. Yeah, the criteria you have to maintain as God's people. Okay. And so if you choose to become in Christ and you do that sincerely, then you also want to grow to be more holy, more loving, more unblemished. Blameless. But it's criteria. That's a good way of saying it. Okay, very good. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Sam is mentioning that the crown of life is promised not only to Paul, Paul's saying there, but also unto all those that love his appearing, that love God. Okay. So the salvation is open to anyone who is willing to come to Christ. That's a good that's a good passage there. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8. Okay. I notice One other thought here in in Ephesians 1, that God, before the foundation of the world, He decided He was going to have a family. Okay, notice that. You see the word adoption? You see the word adoption? Verse 5, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, through the work of Jesus on the cross and so forth. He chose us... To be adopted through Jesus according to the purpose of his will. Okay. In other words, he said, long well, ago, he said, I'm going to have a family. The people who follow me, the people who choose this in Christ relationship, the people who have this criteria, who have these traits, they're going to be my family. I'm going to adopt them into my family. Okay. How do you become a child of God? Well, through the new birth process, right? John 3, 3 through 5, through, through the Spirit and water, which of course connects to the ideal of being baptized into uh, Christ. Okay. If you look right here in Ephesians 5, 26, the new birth is mentioned. Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify the church and cleanse her. By the washing of water and the word. See? So that's the process of adoption. Okay. And that's a beautiful thought. That's a beautiful thought. We are adopted by God. Another reference on the idea of adoption is Galatians 4 and 4 through 6. Just as a reference, if you want to study that ideal further, Galatians 4. Four through 6. It's a beautiful uh, thought. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons, as sons, children. Okay. So this is what God decided a long time ago. It, Those who follow him will develop this in Christ relationship. They'll develop these traits of love and holiness. And they will, in other words, they will be my adopted uh, children. Now, this little section of Ephesians 1, verse 3 starts out with the word, Blessed be the Father. That's the idea of Ephesians 1, is, Blessed be the Father. Because he has blessed us. Now, we cannot bless the Father in the sense of giving him something because he's self sufficient. Okay? He has need of nothing. So, the word bless, when we say bless the Father, means to praise him. Praise him because of the blessings. And in particular, here, praise him because of the blessing, the, the greatness. The fact that he thought of all of this long before he ever created us, before he even created the world. And that's part of the tremendous greatness and depth of God. Okay. That's from Ephesians 1. Quickly turn, up, turn back to Romans 8. Romans 8. And then from here we'll go to a special case Look at Romans 8:28 and 29. We always notice uh, Romans 8:28 is one of our favorite passages, but it also 28 and 29 deals with this theme that we are looking at tonight. Uh, Romans 8:28 and 29. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many uh, brothers. Okay. So again, think in terms of this. A long time ago, before God ever created the world and man, He made some decisions. Okay, he made some decisions. He says, those who will be saved will be those who answer my call. See that? In verse uh, 28, into verse 28. For those who are called according to his purpose. Okay? And a key verse that I've got written down in the margin of my Bible is 2 Thessalonians 2.14. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 where Paul says, we're called through the gospel. We're called through the gospel. So the gospel call, the gospel call that we sing about. The old Macedonian call, the call of the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2, 14. And so God decided a long time ago that those who, who answer the call of the gospel, those are the ones that will be my people. Okay. And then notice also he uses the word justify. Okay. Those he... We know that all that love God, those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that they might um, be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30, and those whom He predestined, He also called. There's our word called. And those whom He called, He also justified. Verse 30, justified. And if you look in your Bible, just flip back to Romans 5 and verse 9, it says we're justified by the blood of Jesus. So a long time ago, God decided in his mind that those who answer the call of the gospel, which would include responding to the cross, responding to the death of Jesus and his shed blood, when they respond to that, then they will be my people. So think about the word called. Think about the word justified there. Look at the Sam emphasized it for us just a minute ago. Look at the beginning of verse 28, Romans 8, 28. To those who do what? What's the first part of verse 28 say? Those who do what? Who love God. How does God know that we love him? Hmm? Yeah, John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. Okay. So God a long time ago said, you know, for those who love me, willing to keep my commandments, John fourteen, fifteen, those will be my people. Those will be the ones that will that will begin their journey to heaven uh, with me. Okay? So you answer the call, you respond to the blood of Jesus, get yourself justified, and then Another way of saying that is that you love God with all your heart. You, you, you keep his uh, commandments. So you see, you see how this kind of works out? What God, Yeah, God decided some things before the foundation of the world, but he decided uh, the kind of response that he would expect from us. Okay. So he called us through the gospel. He justifies us through Jesus' blood. We respond to this by loving God and keeping His uh, commandments. The ultimate goal of God is that we be more like Jesus, be conformed to the image of His Son. Okay. So that's, again, God not only thought about ahead of time our response to the gospel, our response to the cross, but also the kind of Christian life, the kind of life He wanted us to lead. He wants us to be holy and without blemish, and in love but he also he wanted us to be more and more like his son be conformed to be more and more like Jesus First John 2 6 says walk in the steps of Jesus we walk as he walked okay. God decided all this ahead of time all right. and so we can just go on and on of course the word glorified here is my favorite those whom he called those whom he justified he will also glorify and that means we get to go to heaven. So God, before he ever created us, he started making his plan so that we could be with him in heaven. Okay. And so it's just a marvelous thought. Marvelous thought. Just uh, hard to put words to, really. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Our light affliction. You remember this verse? 2 Corinthians 4. 2 uh, sec- Second Corinthians 4, verse 17, Our of affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Oh yes, when we get to heaven, it'll all be worth it. Everything we've had to travel through, every sacrifice we have to make, okay, every extra study we have to have, it'll all be worth it we'll look back and say that on earth was just a light thing, very light thing compared to what I'm experiencing now. God made this decision long ago in his eternal purpose that he wanted us to be there with him in heaven. Now, the special case I'm thinking about before we close out, what what about this question? What about this question? Did Jesus know who would betray him? Did Jesus know who would betray him? He did. Sam, we turn into John 6 and read for us verse 64. Jesus knew who would betray him. Let's kind of see how this plays out in our thoughts here. John six and verse sixty four. There are some of you that believe not. John six, sixty four, yeah. So, did Jesus know all alone who would betray him? That's what it says, right? He knew all along. He never did trust Judas. Okay. This is very interesting uh, to me. So how is it that, that this works out? God foreknew. Okay. Remember this. God foreknowing doesn't mean we are pre- predetermined. To foreknow does not mean to predetermine. Okay. God foreknew that Judas, in exercising his own free will, would betray his son. Okay. Let, me, let me say it again, because I have to. God foreknew that Judas, exercising his own free will, because God's never going to take our free will away from us. But God foreknew Judas, in exercising his own free will, would betray his son. See, now we're rolling up our sleeves and our britches' legs, and we're really getting into it, aren't we? I mean, But let's think about this. We might say, well, that just seems so mysterious to me. Well, it ought to. Because who are we dealing with here? We're dealing with God. We're dealing with the creator of the world. How can you really explain God? Can you explain three persons and one God? Can you explain God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Three persons yet one God? You can't... We're not expected to be able to understand completely the whole nature of God. It's amazing to us. It's wonder, it's a wonder to us, and it ought to be. It ought to be. But think about this: Isn't it true that in Acts 2:23, as Peter is preaching on the Day of Pentecost, he's talking about Jesus, and he said that the death of Jesus was by the determinate counsel of God. OK? In other words, it was part of the eternal counsel of God that Jesus come and die. Of course it was. We have prophecies of the Old Testament that God intended for his son to die. Let me ask you this then. The people who crucified Jesus, were they held accountable for that? They were. were. In fact, right there in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, when Peter's preaching about all this, they sort of stopped Peter and said, what shall we do about this? Acts 2.36, you see your Bible? Acts 2.36, God, whom you crucified, Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. They heard that. They said, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. So even though God knew it, his determinate counsel of his will, he knew what would happen to Jesus. Yet at the same time, The people who crucified Jesus still held accountable. In other words, God would have it happen through still the free exercise of people's will. Those people who crucified Jesus did that on their own. They they were exercising their own free will from their corrupt heart. God, amazingly, was able to orchestrate this uh, from the eternal realms of his wisdom. And so that's how I explain Judas is, yes, God knew, but Judas on his own free will. Uh, And Judas never said anything else. Remember Matthew 27, verse 4, when he came and threw down the pieces of silver, he said, I have, I've done what? I have betrayed innocent blood. I have betrayed innocent blood. He knew he had done this. But God orchestrated things from, from top. and So he can know, yet at the same time, our own will can be uh, freely exercised. And Jesus could have been forgiven. Yes. He just chose to do the wrong thing. Yeah. Judas could have been forgiven. He could have gone a different direction. He did not have to go out and hang himself. In Colossians 1, through 28, it says um, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints to them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of every man in all wisdom that we every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, what? 26, to 26 and 27. That's a good one to go along with with these thoughts. Colossians 1, 26 to 28. Okay, But speaking there of the mystery, Okay, it was a mystery because God was re- slowly revealing His will but once Jesus came and the gospel through the apostles came. Then that that mystery began to go away. But still, even even with that, when you think about God and us, we're not ever going to be God. Be God. He will always be the master. He will always be the servant. He will always be the creator. He will always be creation and it's marvelous to even think about him now in John 13:18 still thinking about Judas John 13:18 Jesus again notice he's going to quote a verse from the Old Testament John 13:18 Jesus said to his disciples I am not uh, speaking of all of you I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. That's from Psalm 41, verse 9. And so the, pro- the prophecy was that there was somebody who close to Jesus who would lift himself up against Jesus, betray him. He who would eat bread with Jesus. John 13, they had just been there and that Jesus washed their feet. Remember that. Now, the interesting thing to me is that in Psalm 41, verse 9, the quotation is, um, I'm going to get it right here. Uh, 41, 9. Okay, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Notice in John 13, 18, the phrase, in whom I trusted, Jesus left that out. See that? Jesus quoted from Psalm 41, 9, but he leaves out in whom I trusted because Jesus never trusted. Jesus knew from the beginning who would betray him. But the prophecy is true that the one who ate bread with me is going to lift up his heel against me. And that is Judas. But Jesus knew from the beginning. The big thing here is, to me, is the greatness of God. His incredible knowledge of all things. And his incredible love. Because, think about it all this knowledge that God has, did He know that we would be sinners? Did He know this before He ever created us? And yet, out of His love, He went ahead and created us anyway. And out of His love, He went ahead and decided to send His Son before He created us. All this was the, the determinate counsel of his will. He decided this all long ago. And it makes us appreciate even more, hopefully even deeper, the tremendous determination that God had to make salvation available to us. He, from the very, very outset, Whenever that was, who can contemplate the eternity of God? Whenever, before the foundation of the world, he was determined that he would make salvation in Christ as available as he possibly uh, could. First John 4 says, God is love. God is love. And we believe that, don't we? All right. Well, thank you for working through a few of these... Passages and noticing uh, these concepts with us.